Good morning. Good to see all of you. Well, I thought today would be a very good Sunday uh, to have the scripture read uh, before I uh, began unpacking it for us. And so I've asked Brian Fish if he would, uh, if he would do that, and I think you'll uh, pick up very quickly why this uh, particular passage to have read. Okay, thanks, Brian. This is the conclusion of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Right. Well, you hear those uh, verses read, and you might find yourself looking around for men in tuxes and uh, women in formal dresses, because more likely than not, uh, you've heard that a set of verses read in more than one sermon, probably quite a few. I mean, wedding services. I'm curious, how many of you have ever in a, you've been at a wedding? How many of you have heard those verses read? Raise your hand. Yeah, so there you go. So we were talking about this as a staff, and Rob said to me, Steve, are you sure you want to preach from that 13th chapter. I mean, you have so many other options from the first uh, 12 chapters of Corinthians. Uh, why, maybe you shouldn't preach from a passage that people have heard so many sermons on and, uh, you know, at weddings and heard read many, many times. It's got to be one of the most well-known uh, passages in Scripture. And, and so I thought about it for uh, uh, two days, three days. I put, kind of put a pause on it and thought, you know, let me, let me revisit that a little bit and make sure I'm doing the right thing and and then I came back to where I began and decided, yes, I'm, I, I really should do this. And uh, one of the reasons that I did was uh, a conversation they had last year with someone in the church where they said, you know, Steve, knowing that next year is your last year, that's now this year, as uh, Brookside's lead pastor, it would be really nice if you would do a set of sermons that would unpack what you believe is most important for us as followers of Christ. What 40 years have taught you is really essential 
if we're going to grow in our relationship with God and, and, and live to the fullest extent possible the, the life that God calls us to live. And um, I, thought, I thought about that a lot this year, actually. And it's guided me in picking which passage and what sermon to preach uh, as we've been tracking through in this 365 challenge that we've been about as, as a church. And so I, I, as, I, as, I, as I put all that together and I thought about what the 13th chapter is talking about, I said, man, there's just no way that I can't preach this sermon today. Because you think of, of anything that matters in our lives as followers of Christ, and, and really, Jesus himself would say it all comes down to this one thing. It is loving God and loving people. It all comes down to love. Remember that? When somebody came to Christ one day and they asked him what uh, the greatest of all of God's commands were, and he said the first, the greatest, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he said the second is like it, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and then he said, all of the law, all of the prophets, all of God's commands hang on these two commands. They're the greatest. So you think of what you want to do to get right, you know, to really maximize your life, really be the kind of person God would want you to be. And we think of, of us as a, as a church wanting to have an influence on the city in which we're in. Really, nothing supersedes love. Nothing supersedes it. And that's exactly what Paul's emphasizing in this 13th chapter. In fact, it's uh, what, what Paul wrote in the first 12 chapters is what led him to write what he wrote in the 13th chapter where he emphasizes love. And so, just to say it again, I think it would be a huge miss if I, if I didn't uh, talk this morning with you about this 13th chapter. And if you haven't guessed it already, here's the big takeaway and, and that I hope we all leave with today. And it's very simple, love matters most. And I would say if you're right on the, you know, on the side of your Bible or somewhere in your Bible or you, you're taking notes this morning uh, in the service program, uh, write that down. Write it down. In fact, think of everything you possibly can of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, the way we should follow him. Do that. Take a piece of paper, list everything, but before you begin, leave a space at the top so that you can write at the very top, love matters most. Love matters most. Loving God and loving people. And as and good as it is to apply it within the context of marriage, I've certainly used it in preaching sermons at, at weddings. Uh, what, the thing you got to know, though, is that Paul, when he wrote it, didn't write it uh, for a wedding. He wrote it for a church. A, a church that, unfortunately, had a, a, desperate, a desperate need to hear everything that Paul wrote in this 13th chapter. Unfortunate for them, because of what it meant was going on in that church that was so bad, but... But fortunate for every one of us here today because we get a benefit today. And, and churches have, down through the history of Christianity, have benefited from what Paul wrote when he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. So, what was happening in this church? It made it so desperate, you know, for these, uh, you know, for these believers to hear what Paul wrote in this chapter. What was it? What was going on? Well, if you've been part of this 365 challenge, you, uh, uh, you've read the first 12 chapters. I uh, did that yesterday. Chapter 13 is uh, uh, day, uh, today's reading. 
right. And if you read the first 12 chapters, you probably got an idea of what was going on inside of this church. I mean, th this, this was a church that was filled with people who were about as unloving as any group of people could possibly be. Tremendously gifted, but terribly, terribly unloving. Certainly not a church that lives out this truth that love matters most. Here's what was happening. Give you a few examples. They were divided over who to follow. And they, it wasn't like they had somebody trying to get them to follow them. They just decided, you know what, I like, I like Paul better, so I'm going to follow Paul. Or I, I like Apollos better, so Paulus, Apollos is the guy to follow. And they, they actually, I mean, it was part of what they quarreled about and argued. And that's the second thing about them. They were always arguing with each other. They were arrogant about how well they knew Scripture. I mean, it's like the very opposite of how Scripture should affect you. They became arrogant. They, they were taking out lawsuits against each other. Their sexual immorality was flagrant in that church. There was unfaithfulness in their marriages. There was no concern about how their lifestyle would hurt another believer's walk with God. So there wasn't a bit of love in any of this. And as crazy as it is, if you read the 11th chapter, and they were mixing pagan worship with, with drunkenness, you know, together with something as sacred as the Lord's Supper, what we're going to do this morning. I mean, they were, turning, they were turning what should have been a sacred time for them as a church into really almost like chaos. It was like party time in, in the worst way possible. There's no love for God in this. They were putting value on each other according to a person's spiritual gifts. There was this pride thing going on. Why, my gift's better than your gift kind of, kind of a deal. It was definitely not the kind of church that any pastor would say, man, I'll, let me have that one. You know, let me go to that church. I'll never forget in seminary, there was a, a church, and I heard about it my first year. It was kind of the talk. Of, of the seminary students that it was just a really bad church. Bad attitudes, bad behavior. I mean, just, just a messed up church. It had been that way for years and never really gone anywhere, never really accomplished anything of any significance for the kingdom of God. And, and it, would, it would have professors from the seminary occasionally go and do a, a preach for a period of time, like an interim with, between pastors. And believe you, me, they were be be between pastors a lot, okay, because guys couldn't handle being there very long, and and uh, and so they made the mistake of 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 asking who was actually my preaching professor in seminary. He was a he was a mammoth guy, just huge, and tall, and he was a giant. Uh, looking at this guy, and he was passionate in his preaching. I mean, this guy defined what it meant to be fiery in pre preaching, and so they had him come. We all heard about it, and we go, oh, this is going to be fun. And, and we wait until Monday morning to hear the stories from the, the students who went to that church, what this guy did. And, and one of my favorite was the, the time they came back on a Monday, and they said, you should have seen him. He was marching up and down the aisle, I mean, and this, he's big, you know. And his, his fingers, his hands were waving, and he was, he was just... He was just cutting them down all over the place, like saying everything that they needed to hear. 
Well, the good thing about it is he cleaned that church up. And it went on to be a church that began to grow. And, and people began to be really, you know, following Christ the way they should follow him. That's what Paul's trying to do here with the Corinthians. Because they were way out there, like crazy people, okay? So it's after introducing everything that he said about spiritual gift that Paul sums up the 12th chapter and, and introduces chapter 13 with these words. He said, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. That's okay, he said. You, that's all right. He said, but I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And the excellent way that he shows them is the way of love. Tragically missing at Corinth. You know, get an idea of what this church was like. It, you could say it was a big city church, all right? It, it was a church in a very cosmopolitan area, a large, large city for that time. And, and so the people in that church were, were very characteristic of, of the people in that city. They were, they were highly educated. They were very successful. They, 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 were, they had all kinds of skills and abilities. So you would look at this church and you would say, man, that church is just go places for the kingdom of God. But it wasn't. Because it was filled with men and women who were all about themselves, out to protect their own interests, out to, to establish their own prestige and position within the church. It's like they, they created this little world within the church and they all wanted to be, you know, the big, the big, big guys or big women, you know, in the church. Big stuff. That was the path that they chose. It was the wrong path. And it had to change. And so Paul writes exactly what they needed to hear, pointing them to the only correct path for their lives, and that's the path of love. And the point Paul makes to convince his readers that love is the way for them to go is, is to show them that what the absence of love means. The absence what it means in everything they are and everything they do, they might be so impressed with themselves, they needed to know that God wasn't in the least impressed. Not in the least. With who they are and what they're doing. And so I came up with this equation to help us track through this this morning, help us remember. Now I would say you might want to write this one down too. X, that's whoever you are and whatever you do, minus love equals Zero. The line's through there, so you, you, you know it's a zero. It's not an O, okay? Equals zero. And Paul gives three examples to drive this equation home for all of us. First of all, the spiritual gifts that they valued the most. Second, sacrificial generosity. And third, martyrdom. And so first of all, in spiritual gifts, Paul connects them to three three gifts. The gift of speaking in tongues, the, the, the gift of prophecy, and the gift of faith and all three done to the greatest extent possible because these these people i mean they they had a lot of ability they they were smart people so first the gift of tongues he writes this he said if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love i'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal to get the tongues is pretty amazing really it's it's that God-given ability to, for someone to speak a language that they'd never spoken their whole life. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? And like you're, you're, 
you're, you're talking English, you've never spoken any other language than English, and then all of a sudden God does this thing and you're, you're speaking fluent German, you know, or Italian, and you're hearing yourself say stuff you've never said before. Like, what am I saying? Yeah. Amazing. Not so surprising that the Corinthians prize this so highly. Unfortunately, they abused it in the worst way possible. Many of them were obsessed with having this gift. They, and, and some of those who experienced it became proud and, and, and self-serving. Love was totally missing. They, they didn't care what their gift would do for another person to help them. It was just all about themselves. Because love was missing. All their speaking in tongues had become nothing but an irritating noise to God. It was like a resounding gong over and over again or a clanging cymbal over and over again. You know, I, I forgot at first service I was going to grab it between. And, and that is, to me, one of the most irritating sounds is a, a fork scraping against a plate. I just wish I would have remembered so I could have done that, right? And that, and that just drive you crazy. Well. So the equation is, speaking in tongues minus love was zero. And then there's the gift of prophecy. Paul said, if, if, I, um, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I'm nothing. What he's saying here is you can have, you can have all the knowledge in the world. You can have a depth of insight into the future, into, into Scripture. He said, but if, if, if love isn't at the core of who you are, he said, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's worthless to God. And I've got to tell you, Paul's so right about this. I'd, say, I'd even say that a loveless person with a lot of biblical knowledge is dangerous. They're dangerous to themselves because it just feeds their arrogance. It's dangerous because they're constantly judging other people for their lack of knowledge. They're dangerous because they only intimidate other people. It does nothing to build others up in their faith. Help them grow spiritually. It's one of the things 40 years of ministry have emphasized to me. In fact, and I guess it's seminary story day. Uh, but I had a professor in seminary I heard about right away when I got there. And this guy was a brilliant. He was like an apologist. I mean, he could talk circles around people. Um, but he was mean. And his reputation was... Boy, if you can avoid to take his class, do it. Take somebody else if you can. Because what this guy, for some crazy reason, loved to do was find a student who didn't know the answer to his question. And just make that student feel as stupid as he could. I mean, he, he, he even put some guys to tears. What a waste. You know, my, well, I wonder what it would be like, you know, to stand before God and this guy thinks... Man, I'm great. And God said, you're not great at all. You know? So here the equation is biblical knowledge minus love equals zero. The third gift is this gift of faith. Paul said, and if I have a faith that can move 
mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. You're talking about the person who, who, whose confidence in God is so strong, so unwavering, that they're able to accomplish things that most of us would go like, I didn't even think of that. You know, it's like they're always dreaming of the next mountain to conquer. They're always living on the edge. They're like spiritual giants to us. And yet it's, it's even true of this person. They could, do, they could have, be wildly successful in all the things they accomplish for God, but if, they're, if, if at their core they're not loving, God said it's, it's worthless. Same equation. Great faith minus love equals zero. All to point out that love matters what? Most. Okay. Now, if that's not enough, Paul goes on to say that the same is true for sacrificial living, whether it's sacrificial giving financially or, or martyrdom. Look, look at this statement. He said, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, you look at that statement and you go, how's that even possible? How's it even possible for somebody to give so much voluntary poverty, they give so much that they go into poverty themselves, how's it possible for them not to have love in doing that? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Well, you know how it's possible? They do it to earn points with God. If they think, man, if I'm good enough and I give enough, then maybe that's where God will accept me and I can spend eternity with God. It's not because they love people. And you talk about going to the stake for your faith in Christ, dying for Christ with a motivation other than love for God? I mean, I can't imagine anybody going to the stake with mixed motives, you know? Again, it, it, it's possible, though, if you do it to earn points with God, to say, will you say, man, if I die, I'll, maybe I'll be greater in heaven, if that's why, why you're doing it. And you're not doing it because you love people. In fact, there's, there's stories in history of the Christian church that there were some Christians in the early days of the church in, who actually pursued martyrdom. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, to become famous, I would certainly look for a better way, you know. I mean, I don't know about you, but okay, but the point's clear. If love is missing in giving and even in dying, nothing's gained. The, the equation is the same for both, sacrificial Living minus love equals zero. Martyrdom minus love equals zero. You know, I've got to tell you. In my 40 years of ministry as a pastor, 35 years here and five years in Wisconsin, I've seen believers live out this equation time and time again. And every time they do, it's tragic for them. And I would even say it's tragic for every person whose life intersects with theirs. It's tragic. Now, something happened this time in reading this chapter. I, I've read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 so many times in my life, I, I couldn't even count them. I've, I can't remember, you know, I'm sure I've done them many weddings. But something, something got my attention this time, and I saw a set of verses like I've never seen them before. It, it, it made way more sense to me why Paul wrote what he did when he did. And, it, and, and we're going to see this in a minute. It's, a, it's his descriptors of love, what love really is. 
And it hit me, he didn't just give us those descriptors that we'd be able to understand what love is, but he gave them to show us why this equation is so true. Whoever you are and whatever you, know, you do, without love, minus love, you're, it's all zero. It's all nothing. Okay? Well, let, me, let me act this for you so you can see it. Because what we're going to see in this, all right, is the things that I'm going to be talking about, if, if, if those aspects of love are not present in somebody, they're a miserable person to be around. Nothing for anybody, all right? And what matters most to God, second greatest commandment, is, is loving other people. So let's look at this, okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, uh, the unhandy thing about both of those is that I'm sure you've noticed this, that when everybody and everything's going your way, it's very easy to be kind and patient, right? But when, when stuff happens, when life happens, and events and people get in your way, it's then when the level of your love is really put on a test, right? By how patient and how kind you are to other people. And when you're not patient and you're not kind, not, it's not a good deal for anybody, right? Nice phrase. Doesn't envy. That's a, a, re, a resentful a longing to have what somebody else has, whatever it might be. It could, it could be their success in life. It could be their family, their children. It could be their marriage. It could be their looks. It could be, you know, the house they live in, the things they have. I mean, any number of things, okay? That's envy. I think envy gets at its lowest. When you think to yourself, if, if I can't have it, I don't want anybody to have it, all right? And, I, you know, if you think that way, there is no way you're ever going to rejoice at somebody else's good fortune. And it's not loving. It, in fact, everybody loses. It's a total loss. You lose, lose yourself if you're that way, and, and everybody else loses the opportunity to be encouraged. All right? Next phrase. Uh, it, did not, it does not boast, it's not proud. If you're a loving person, if your heart is full of love, you're not worried, you're not concerned about how much other people know about what you've accomplished in life. You don't think about it. But if you're not a loving person, then you're constantly looking for ways to promote yourself, to make yourself look better in front of other people. And, and honestly, if it, if it weren't so tragic, it, it actually sometimes is quite, in, quite entertaining. You know what people will do, like name dropping, you know, uh, not so subtle hints about what they've done or, you know, accomplished in life or what they've done for other people, you know, just kind of throwing it out there, you know. I mean, right? You know what I'm all talking about, the kind of person I'm, they're not fun to be around. That person, that kind of a person has never done anything for me spiritually. I never walked away from the time with that person and said, now I understand better how to follow Christ. Never. Never. Next phrase. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. If you're a loving person, your focus is outside of yourself. You're not always thinking about yourself. If you're not a loving person, your focus is on yourself. If you're a loving person, 
You want other people to be honored. And you want to do everything you can to help that person do better so that you're that that person is honored and and really most of the time you're not putting yourself first i'm giving a little allowance on that one all right okay how about this next one it's it's not easily angered boy you know you know what you know the part that gets me about that one is the word easily not easily angered because boy i've done that I've, can i tell you a story um so after first service, I didn't do something second service that I did first service. And um, I wasn't preaching. I made that, said that. First service, I said I was up here preaching, and then everybody's going like, I thought Jeff was up here preaching. But anyway, remember I came up at the end, and I had a conversation with Jeff. And we talked about the disciplines. And one of the disciplines was the discipline of silence or the discipline of solitude. And... And so then I, I did this thing where I, I t- talked about, you know, these days with modern technology and all the ways to communicate, it makes it harder for us to find solitude. And so then in the, in the moment, as my mouth is moving, I think of doing this. And that should always be a sign. When your mouth is moving, don't think about what you're going to say next. All right? Think about it first. And so... I said, you know, you know, all this stuff we got. And then I, I said, you know, like these watches that some people are wearing that uh, I, I don't know what they're called. And, and then I went on and I, I think I said, they're like, and unfortunately, I threw in the word iPod, which has nothing to do with all of this, okay? But I threw it in. And then I, laptops and iPads. And, 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 and then I just went on to talk some more about the whole thing. Thinking, it done, that was pretty good. You know? So, you know how it is sometimes your friends take advantage of you. You know, when you really have done a really stupid thing, they trash you for it rather than being merciful and coming alongside you. And so, sure enough, one, a good friend comes up to me after, after first service and said, he said, first of all, he said, you know, that was good. You, did, you, you really did good. But, Steve, don't do the watch thing again. First of all, it's not an iPod watch. And I said, I didn't say it was an iPod watch. And he said, yeah, you did. And he's just getting in my mind. I mean, he's ticking me off. And, and I said, no. I, I said, I, I compared it to those. No, you did. And so I'm just, and then, and, then he's, and then he said, and what more is anybody out there with, with an Apple Watch, you're making them feel like they're dumb to even have one. You, sa- you actually said, I'd die before I'd ever wear one of those. I said, I didn't say that. And he said, yeah, you did. And, and so I was mad. All right, so we left, and he went on his way, and I went on my way, and a few more conversations. And then I'm coming to the back, and who should be walking in? Another good friend. And he's, ha, 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 I heard you said you wore an iPod watch. And it just, like, I just, I'm, well, I won't say it, but I just, I'm so ticked right now. And he was like, whoa, you know. And so um, what I'm going to do is is the next one on that. Um, It's this one. Keeps no record of wrongs. I'm filing that one away. <laughs> All right? 
mentally filing it because I've, I'm going to use it at some point. I'm going to get back. And then loving? All right. You know the point of this one, okay? If you're loving, you'll, you don't keep a mental file of wrong things that another person has done to you so that you can use it later, you know, as a, a bullet. Shoot at them. Look at the next one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You read that and you go, What's it, why, does he, why does he connect evil with truth? Why isn't it evil as opposed to righteousness? And it's because righteousness is based on God's truth. And so really what Paul is saying is, loving God and loving people is going to motivate you to live a truth-filled, holy life. And as important as it is to you for yourself, it's important to you for other people. Right? And then I love this last, might be my favorite. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you're a loving person, you want to protect other people. You want to protect them physically, emotionally, spiritually. In fact, the wedding I went to Friday evening, uh, it was really fun. Uh, Drew Oliver and Haley Holmes got married. And Drew's younger brother, you know how you have the reception and, and uh, a good friend or family member will talk about the groom and talk about the bride and, and say nice stuff about him, um, and which is it's right. That's, it's a great time. And, um, and Drew's younger brother told how when he said, I, don't, I, I can't even quite remember. I think he said he was like three or four, just this little guy. And, and Drew's a few years older. And um, there's enough significant difference in age. And so they were walking down the sidewalk, and uh, Drew had moved his little brother to the other side. And so the guy, his little brother who told this story said, at first there was this little brother part of me like, you're not going to tell me where to go. And, and, and then Drew told him, he said, I'm doing this because if a car comes, because the sidewalk was right next to the road, if a car comes and it, and it goes off into the sidewalk, and I want it to hit me rather than hit you. Uh, it's a great story, isn't it? Love it. Love always trusts. And if you're a loving person, you, you always look for the best in other people. You start out that way rather than the other way. Always hopes. You're the, you're the kind of person who's eager to give another person the opportunity uh, to do better. You know, to be able to show they can do better than they've done. And, and then the last one, always perseveres. Uh, you hang in with somebody in their failures, in their struggles. See, here, here's what I realize, and this is why, why Paul's equation is so true. And So I, I'm just going to look at this whole scripture with you, and I'm just going to talk it through very quickly. Because what I, what I want us to see is that when, when these kinds of things are missing from somebody, everybody else pays the price. And so you can be this amazingly successful person, and yet the equation would still be true of you. That whoever you are and whatever you do, minus love, it just equals zero. It does nothing for anybody. Okay? So let's look at this. Love is patient. Well, if you're not a loving person, you're an impatient person. And that doesn't do anything for anybody. Love is kind. Well, if you're not a... A kind person, then what are you? You're the opposite. You're unkind. Nobody, nobody really wants to be around of you. They're more, more afraid of you than anything. 
doesn't envy. I mean, what does an envious person do for anybody? Because really what they're always doing is they're, they're watching out for themselves. You know, they, they're making sure that they get what they want. And it's, it kind of fits in with self-seeking. And there's a certain vengeance about it. It does not boast. I mean, who's ever gotten anything being around an arrogant, boastful person? You know, not proud, same thing. It, it does not dishonor others. Someone, someone who is unloving, man, they're not interested in lifting other people up. They're, they enjoy more putting other people down. It's not self-seeking. No? That's nothing for anybody. That's nothing for anyone. It's not easily angered. Man, we know. I mean, I can joke about anger, but anger destroys people. It keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, who, who wants to be around somebody that's always like, oh, I remember, you know, they, they're always bringing up stuff that you've done where you've failed. That doesn't do anything for you. Love doesn't delight in evil. Man, I just, you know, it's possible to be this amazing person publicly, but a very spiritually corrupt person internally you could you could have all kinds of sin in your life that nobody knows about you know and and what does that do for anybody i mean just doesn't and it always comes out rejoices with the truth when has lion ever done anything for anybody right and then i love this always protects and it always protects it always looks for the best in others. It, it always is willing to give somebody another opportunity to do better than they de did before. Always perseveres. Always perseveres. Always hangs in there with you. I just love this chapter. And you know, the, as if the readers needed more convincing, Paul points out this eternal character of love when he, he finished up by saying, he said this, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where their tongues are going to be stilled, and where there's knowledge, it's going to pass away. We know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I... I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul said it far more eloquently than my three words. But it shows that it's true. That love matters most.